everyone. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And, and we're, we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister. the St. Paddy's Day special. Um, I have, it's kind of a true crime story, but also kind of like Dublin folklore for St. Paddy's Day. I don't know what you guys are presenting today, but... I have an unsolved, um, straight-up true crime. Cool. Cool. I have a disappearance. A disappearance. So we've got, like, all... A little, a mel- little melting pot of yeah. Irish sampling of sinister and sarcastic. Mm. So um, I'm just gonna dive in with mine then, if you're ready. Ready. Born okay. ready. Oh my. Yeah. Okay, so I will be telling you guys about the death of Rachel Hurley. So, Rachel Karen Hurley was born on October 14, 1975, in Englewood, New Jersey, which is in Bergen County, and I don't know if you remember, but Karen Denise Wells was oh. traveling to Bergen County. Oh, we're so, going together. A little throwback. Full circle. Full mm-hmm. circle moment. That's nice. She and her family moved in 1984 when Rachel was about eight years old to live in Jupiter, Florida which is a little ways north of West Palm Beach on the Atlantic Ocean coast. She lived with her mother, Andrea, Andrea, her father, Daniel, and her sister, Erica. Her mother was a nurse at Jupiter Hospital, and her father was an English teacher at Forest Hills High School. She was described as beautiful, charming, smart, and popular. She was a 14-year-old eighth grader and played softball at Jupiter Middle School. Her friend Sherry Duff said she was a force to be reckoned with. Just a few weeks before St. Patrick's Day in 1990, Rachel and her group of friends were playing with a Ouija board at a slumber party. Sherry, Sherry, her friend, remembers the question was, who will be the first to die? The arrow spelled out Rachel. No, Sherry, no. That's not a good question. What a silly question to ask the board. Sherry said, being Rachel, she yelled out, quote, then do it, bitch, as we laughed and played along. But when we asked for a sign, the house alarm went off and we lost it. It was just weird. Not long after that, she was gone. Can I, side note, um, one of my favorite videos I've seen is this dad's in his basement by his fuse box. And the caption is, when your kids bring a Ouija board in your house, and then all of a sudden he just cuts the power, and all you hear is screams. (laughs) Um, That's the kind of parent I aspire to be, and I really hope that this was just, like, Sherry's parents doing this, too. Yeah. And then they killed Rachel to continue it. No, not that far. Okay, okay. You know. Stepping over. I I have a prediction that Rachel's gonna die. So, St. Patrick's Day, 1990, on March 17, 1990, Rachel had spent the day boating with friends. The boat docked in Jupiter Inlet, and Rachel and her friends disembarked at Dubois Park. She and her friends... She hmm? was boating? 
Yeah. I mean, she lived in Florida. What are they going to do? I have to say, if I lived in Florida, I think I'd be afraid to get near any body of water. Uh, the alligators. Uh, you guys looked really confused, but I'm concerned about alligators. Yeah. Sorry, I should mention, they were boating in the ocean, so... No. Okay, so, so just sharks. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> she and her friends, Aaron and Maddie, walked the path towards Carlin Park. Rachel was to meet her mom to be picked up there at 3 p.m. It's roughly a mile south of Dubois Park, so not a big walk. Are these two of the girls that did the Ouija board with her? Um, not sure. All I know for sure is that Sherry Duff was involved in the Ouija board. It just said that at a slumber party, um, Rachel and her group of friends. Oh, okay. So, maybe. She was described as being popular, though, so she could have a lot of friends. Rachel's friends said they needed to use the bathroom, so Rachel, not wanting to be late to meet her mom, left them to continue on solo. She walked down the beach to cut through the woods to get to where she was supposed to meet her mother. She was last seen at around 2.45 p.m., and she never showed up to the meeting spot. Her mother, Andrea Hurley, began to worry that she was at the wrong spot to pick up. Yeah. She also started to wonder if Rachel had found another way home, so she went home. They lived about 15 minutes away. Rachel, of course, wasn't home. Andrea returned to the park, and at 4 p.m., Andrea began calling Rachel's friends to find out where Rachel was. At 5 p.m., the police were called. More than 100 deputies from the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office, along with two boats, a helicopter, eight mounted deputies, and three canine units joined the search. When Rachel's other friends, ones who hadn't spent the day with her, heard that she was missing, they came to help. Look. They even canceled the softball game because everybody was busy searching. Later that night, at around 8.15 p.m., they found Rachel's body in the woods of Carlin Park. Her exact location was just east of the path that she had been on to get from Dubai Park to Carlin Park. She had been dragged into a heavy brush. She was partially clothed, with some of her clothes being scattered nearby. She was found laying supine in a clearing, surrounded by thick underbrush. Supine on the spine, so on her back. Officials confirmed that she had been raped, and her cause of death was asphyxiation. She was covered in defensive wounds, and there was DNA found on her body. Any Police asked anyone who had information to contact them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually looking at a Facebook page for Rachel and found that one woman, Lynn Stevens, said that she had gone into the bathroom where Rachel's friends had been. She said that when she walked in, there was a boy in the bathroom with the girls. She yelled at the boy to get out, and he grabbed her. Then he left and followed Rachel down the bath. She had told detectives this many times, but I'm not sure if anything actually came of that. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that she said there was a boy in the bathroom and not a man in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Another tip came in from a high school student named Billy Fagan. He said he'd been at the park that day, and he told police that he had seen a tall, scruffy vagrant with a beard nervously leaving the woods around the time of the murder. His description caused the police to begin questioning homeless men who were known to frequent that wooded area. 
They ended up talking to more than 50 men, but got nowhere. Five detectives worked practically around the clock fielding questions from callers. More than a thousand phone calls from outraged public were received by the sheriff's office in the first few weeks following Rachel's murder. Sheriff Richard Weil took personal command of a task force to scour the woods. They stopped to talk to so many vagrants. Some So, because it was getting insane how many homeless folks they were stopping and talking to, mm-hmm. detectives would give their business cards to them so that if another detective stops that guy, he can show the business card and be like, this guy already talked to me. You don't need to talk to me anymore. Right. So... The transient theory galvanized the community. The Palm Beach County Commission voted to spend $50,000 to clear the brush. The Port of Palm Beach Commission banned camping on Peanut Island. No trespassing signs were posted in the parks. The town council approved a four-person unit to rid the town of transients. They approved spending $62,000 for four new officers, one canine, an ATV, and four police radios. The officers were to roust, roust, mm-hmm. roust, or <coughs> like, oh, okay. move along, gotcha. type thing, or arrest transients and patrol the beach. The town manager, Griff Roberts, intended to beef up the unit in the next budget, adding two more officers, another ATV, a jeep, and an administrative clerk, at a cost of just. $230,000 a year. So, as you can see, that one guy's claim that he saw the, the transient-looking fit man leave the woods really stirred up the pot. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like they got really focused on making sure there weren't any homeless people hanging out. So, after a year... By March 1991, Detective Mike Waits, a nine-year veteran, was the only one assigned full-time to the case. Although it seems like they got tunnel vision and were only looking into one specific possibility as far as suspects are concerned, Waits said that they hadn't limited themselves and they left it open to any possibility. Quote, if we get tips on someone from a day laborer to a professional person, we'll check it out. So, Andrea believed, Andrea's Rachel's mother. Yeah. Andrea believed that Rachel wouldn't have walked through those woods with a stranger, nor would she have ventured in alone. She believed that she went through the woods with someone who offered to walk with her. And so someone she, she knew. knew. Other than the transient community, the next possible suspect was, drumroll, Billy Fagan. After speaking to police, he had given interviews to the newspaper and TV reporters about what he saw. He was a 17-year-old sophomore at Palm Beach Gardens High School in 1990. He was very popular, especially with the ladies, often having many girlfriends at a time. He worked as a busboy at a restaurant. He was one of dozens who combed the woods searching for clues. And he told reporters that he had been Rachel's beach friend and had gone to the beach with her many a time. He was in no way a close friend of Rachel's. Interesting. Gave TV interviews. Acted memorably upset. Like he stood out. People were like, what's he so sad about? He barely knew her. Over emotional. 
Yeah, he acted that way at the funeral in the wake, and he walked uninvited into the detective's Palm Beach Gardens office to talk about the case. Sounds like he really wanted to uh, be involved. Be involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fagan also helped circulate petitions to clear the brush prior to the Palm Beach County Commission vote. So when they were voting to spend all that money to clear the brush so that the transients couldn't hang out in the woods anymore or had less hiding spots, he was very involved in getting the petition signed. By the end of March 1990, police started to become interested in Fagan. Detective Todd Sidway looked over footage of Billy giving interviews to reporters. He said they had received tips about him, which is what like sparked the interest and started them looking more closely into Billy. And what they found was that a year before, on June 3rd, 1989, a neighborhood teen, a neighborhood teenage boy to be specific, complained that Fagan had forced him to take off his pants in the woods. He then made the younger boy lie down as Fagan walked on his back and spit at him. He then grabbed a pine cone and rubbed it against the boy's groin before leaving with his underwear and shorts. A report was filed noting no signs of physical abuse on the boy. Nothing happened for 11 months until detectives started looking at these interview tapes. So, like, nothing came of that Mm -hmm. until... Rachel was murdered, and they became interested in Billy and started mm-hmm. looking into his past. So, Detective Sidway charged Fagan with assault, battery, and robbery of the boy on March 30th, 1990. Meanwhile, also on March 30th, Fagan continued to live his life. So, okay, so when he, when I said that he charged Fagan, he didn't go and arrest him. He just filed the charges. Gotcha. So, Fagan was like, off living his life still he started dating a new girlfriend let's call her girl one because there are a lot of girls in this story okay. also trigger warning for um okay. sexual assault so he started dating girl one the next day on march 31st he was at the house of another girl girl two while at girl two's house he began kissing another girl girl three on the trampoline in the backyard Reportedly, Billy began removing her pants against her will and pinned her down against the trampoline. She said he tried to have sex with her, but she resisted, and he eventually ejaculated on her shirt and pants. Girl 3's mother took her to file a report, and a friend of hers, acting as a witness, told police that at two parties in the past year, Fagan had fondled her. On April 18th, another old friend of Billy's, a 14-year-old girl, Girl 4, told detectives that Billy removed the top of her bikini during a swim in the ocean one day in the summer of 89. Girl 5 told police that, quote, he's just strange. He's the kind of person when he walks in the room, everybody looks at him like he's the devil or something. She added that Billy had visited her late one night at her house and had raped her. Girl 6 vaguely remembered a party that Billy attended where he was in the shower and inviting girls to join him. She said that at one point she had been in the shower, but doesn't know whether anything happened to her and doesn't know any of the other details because she was drunk. Girl 7 was 15 at the time and told detectives that Billy pulled up her shirt and kissed her chest at a park on January 1st, 1989. Then in July of that year, she said Billy came to her house at midnight, removed her pants while they were sitting by the pool, and got on top of her. 
Girl 8, a 14-year-old, said that on two occasions sometime after Christmas 1989, Billy touched her breasts, removed his clothing, and made sexual advances. And finally, Girl 9, also 14, said Billy let her drive his scooter in June of 89 while he sat behind her. He took off her top and felt her breasts. So when they started looking into him and they started filing charges, they started interviewing a lot of girls at his school, and all of these accounts became known to the police. So it seems that Billy was a little sexually aggressive in his youth. And keep in mind, yeah, I was saying their ages. He was 16, 17 years old when he was attacking these Mm 14-year-olds. Something to keep in mind. Um, So by April 27, 1990, detectives had taken recorded statements from 12 girls who would eventually be called assault victims. Billy, at this time, began talking to the girls and even Erica Hurley, Rachel's older sister, about how he was a suspect in the murder. Can you imagine that? Like, So he was going and talking to the girls he had assaulted before about how he's now a suspect in Rachel's murder? Yeah, and also her older sister. So, like, if somebody killed your little sister or little brother... And then they were looking into that person, and they came up to you, Lacey, and was like, you know I'm a suspect in your, your brother's murder, right? What a weirdo. I feel like weirdo is the mildest term, probably. Yeah. There's other words. It's like bold <laughs> and just... It's callous. It is bold, it's like inserting yourself yeah. into the investigation. Yeah. It's bold. I feel like with everything that he's done and, like, the fact that he's saying that to her older sister, he probably liked the attention. Mm-hmm. I agree. Also, at this time, detectives started to follow him. That's a good call, I think. Four days later, on May 1st, he was charged by sheriff's detectives with 31 felony sex charges involving 13 girls and a boy. So that all, all the... came out very quickly then, because you said, like, March 30th was when he was charged with... Like assaulting mm-hmm. the first kid, and then this is the beginning of May, so yeah, very quickly they, they went all this, so. investigating and found all these accounts. Mm-hmm. All the alleged victims knew Billy, but only two had filed formal complaints with the police. Mm-hmm. In September, the charges were dropped. A few parents didn't want their daughters to testify, and some of the other complainants were surprised that confidential conversations had been turned into felony cases. So it, what it was like was that the police would be talking to these girls and they would say, oh, well, he took my pants off while we were sitting next to the pool and he tried to, like, get on top of me. And then the police would file, add that to his charges and they'd be like, I didn't mean for you to do that. Yeah, like, I didn't want to press charges. Just yeah. Just letting you know. And then other, other cases where the parents were like, my kid is not going to testify about that. Sounds like they really rushed into yeah. something without. I feel like they were really eager to press charges and they didn't consider victim impact. Yeah. Well, that seems stupid now because then the charges got dropped. So. That's... However, Billy did plead no contest to five misdemeanor offenses and agreed to undergo counseling. Huh. But he was allowed to return to school that where he fair. hung out with all his victims. That seems fair. So, I know 
what you're thinking. You're like, Billy looks pretty good for Rachel's murder. Because she was raped. He seems to be pretty sexually aggressive. He's inserting himself into the investigation pretty heavily. He's doing TV interviews and stuff. He's making a big show about how upset he is. He, like, I feel like he even tried to, like, make the investigation go a certain way. Yeah. That was away from him. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to point out, he, I would call a boy, not a man. Yeah. Hint, back to the bathrooms. I think most girls who saw a high school student boy. would call a boy, not a man. Or- yeah. Although, I don't know. I, he seems very popular with the ladies and if that girl who said that she walked in and saw a boy in the bathroom with the girls would she have recognized him mm-hmm. it's hard to it say there's no way of knowing if they yeah. even knew each other anyway Billy's friends provided an alibi for Billy they said that on the afternoon of Rachel's murder he was surfing in Sebastian in Indian River County a town three counties away from where Rachel was murdered. They said they picked up videotapes on the way home, which is so 90s. Records show that Billy rented Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 5, and Kickboxer about 30 minutes before the time Rachel is believed to have been murdered. But, okay, so they were like, he couldn't have done it, he was over here, right? And then they had the 30 minutes before she was supposedly murdered, he was in a blockbuster or something. Mm-hmm. Didn't he say that he had been at the park that day and witnessed a scruffy vagrant leaving the wooded area at the time Rachel had been murdered? Oh, yeah. He was yeah. the one that set off the whole kid's yeah. inside of the community thing. So he put himself in the park. Like, so either he's lying about being at the park, which, why? Or he was at the park and... But he was at Blockbuster 30 minutes away, or 30 minutes before he was at Blockbuster, and then went to the park. Didn't you say that there was, the killer left DNA on Rachel? I'm so glad you brought that up. You're a little early. Okay. Let me just say one more thing. Okay. Billy refused to be questioned by police after Rachel, or about Rachel, unless the police would publicly exonerate him. If the interview fails to establish guilt. So After he was like, interview? yeah, he was like, I'll talk to you only though afterwards, if you can't prove I did it, you need to tell the news that I didn't do it. No, it seems like he's really into the public eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So back to the DNA in 2004. So also keep in mind, Lacey, it was in the nineties. So DNA. In 2004, DNA evidence was collected from a bloody t-shirt found soon after the murder on top of a heap of trash in a 50-gallon drum about 200 feet from Rachel's body. They got a match. Doug Gross. DNA was taken from the shirt because a few articles of Rachel's clothing were scattered near the drum. So it was like Rachel's clothing and then bloody shirt. Bloody shirt had David Gross's DNA on it. It took so long to get a match because Gross's DNA wasn't on file until he was sent to state prison for a string of burglary convictions. While the shirt did belong to Gross, there was nothing to suggest he had been involved in Rachel's death. 
Gross had been two years older than Rachel in 1990 and was described as a, quote, skateboarding tough. When questioned, he said he was in the county's juvenile detention center at the time of the murder, although that hadn't been confirmed. Detective William Springer from the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office took over the case at this time, like that he's in charge now. There is a $15,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest. Andrea Hurley last spoke to the press in 2017, saying, quote, Our Rachel, to her family, was a feisty, sassy, beautiful girl who made us laugh with her silly antics. She was a force to be reckoned with, a charmer who we often said could start out with a quarter, travel the world, and return home with change. So that's just like a nice thing. Um, and then the Jupiter Tequesta Athletic Association had set up a college scholarship in Rachel's name. It was given annually to a girl who participated in the association's softball program. Detective Springer is still hopeful to find justice for Rachel while her family is still around. On February 23, 2019, Rachel's father, Daniel, died suddenly while coaching his grandson's lacrosse team. Mm -hmm. So, Detective Springer is really hoping to find justice for Rachel while mom and sister are still around. Yeah. Possible suspects I have are Billy Fagan, David Gross, and an anonymous stranger, possibly transient. Would you like to discuss... Yeah, I don't know. A little bummed out. Yeah. Billy still feels good for it. Yeah. Because like you said, the whole... He was supposed to be 30 minutes away, but also was able to give... Did the police not, like, consider that? Like, they no. took a statement from him. I don't know. I don't know. what. So, his friend's timeline said that on the afternoon of Rachel's murder, he was surfing in Sebastian, which is a town three counties away, and it's actually driving about an hour and a half and then they stopped on the way home to get videotapes at probably a blockbuster because it was the 90s and they have him on like recording 30 minutes before time of death at blockbuster i don't know where the blockbuster is because obviously i can't search that anymore I mean, I probably could, but it seems like it would be really hard to find out where the Blockbuster was. Yeah. And I don't even know if he was at a Blockbuster. You'd probably I, have to go, like, deep. I mean, like, hopefully we'll find, like, a newspaper that, like, says... I read so address. many newspaper articles. Yeah. If none of them post, like, the address, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? So, I don't know. I feel like... If, if he didn't do it, he needs to be charged with obstruction, because... He's is getting involved in the case that he doesn't need to be. He's not even like her friend. Yeah, that that whole thing is weird too. Even before all of the accusations from other people, which I think is very damning, the fact that he was like inserting himself mm-hmm. in the investigation for somebody that he was not friends with is weird. But probably knew. Yeah, probably knew because he still. said they were beach friends. Yeah. Which I would like to draw your attention back to what her mother said, that Rachel wouldn't have walked through those woods with a stranger, nor would she have ventured in alone. If it's somebody that she sees often on the beach, who she knows, who's relatively close to her age, she probably would have felt fine walking mm-hmm. through the woods with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm gonna throw my weight on Billy. And that is your opinion. Yes. Not trying to get sued. Yes. No. This is our. This is my based on the little bit of information I have. My theory is Billy. Mhm. Um. Yeah, I agree. He like definitely looks good for it, and you know, could have been someone else she knew too. Yeah. Um. But definitely, like he does need to. He should. I wonder if because he totally like pointed the the investigation like one way. Yeah. Which just wastes time and resources, and then. Yeah, they were so focused on clearing out the homeless community because of what he said. And that also just, like, reinforces, like, negative thoughts about, like, the homeless community. Mm -hmm. Stereotypes Um, like that. Oh, as far as DNA is concerned, I believe he was arrested and charged with those assaults, right? Did I say that? Yeah, yeah, but didn't you say that they ended up dropped? dropped? Yeah, so... They would have printed him at the station. Would they have taken his DNA? I don't think so. I don't think they could have if they weren't. If he was I don't know how it works. Yeah, I can ask Lou, and we can get back to. Because also, but... there was semen on her, wasn't it? It didn't say semen. It said DNA. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that was the murder of Rachel Hurley. Well, hopefully, just she was just fourteen. All right, what, what are we going next? Okay, well, my laptop is going to die. So I will be right back. Want to do 20 questions? It's your turn. Okay, let me think of something. All I can think of is squirrel. Okay, okay, I got something. Um, is it living? No. Oh. Do you find it in your house? Yes. Kitchen? No. Bathroom? No. Living room. Maybe. Maybe. Can you pick it up? Like, can one person pick it up? Probably not. Okay. You ready to get back in? I guess. Okay. Um, we're going to change gears a little bit. So, you two haven't been to, like, Dublin or Ireland, correct? No. Okay. So, while I was over there, we, of course, did, like, a walking, like historic ghost tour which was awesome but when we decided to do a St. Patty's Day thing it dawned on me that I heard this story of a kind of like well I mean yeah he like a handicapped serial killer almost he's kind of become an urban legend over there okay so the name of the story is Billy and the Bull and like a band uh, yeah mm-hmm. So his name was Billy Davis. He was born without legs, um, but managed to make his way around in a large iron bowl held in place. Question, can we mock him? Is he a victim or? No, he's, he's an asshole. You can totally mock him. Okay. What a nerd. Yeah. Um, so the bowl was held in place with two leather straps over his broad shoulders. Okay. Um, So you said a bowl. Yeah. Do you mean literally like a bowl? Yeah. What? Okay. How, how big is he, the bowl? How did he move? It, I'm getting there. All right. <laughs> so he wore um, a bowl on his bottom half. Yeah. With suspenders. Yeah. 
So, because he lacked legs, he made up for in his arms. He had two very strong, very large arms. Oh my god, I feel like yeah. I know where this is going. Well, he lacked so legs, he, he made up for in his arms. Oh <laughs> 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 so, with how he lived, his nickname was Billy and the Bull. Um, <laughs> he was very famous and well-known around two suburbs in the Dublin area called uh, Stony Batter and Grangle Gorman. And this takes place around like the 1780s. Okay. Okay. So Billy was described as quite handsome. He had long locks of pitch black hair um, and a striking face, dark eyes, the powerful arms and great charm that drew the attention of all the ladies. Did you tell us how he got around? So, his sole flow of income was begging. Because what else could he do? Especially in the 1700s. He would use his, like, disability and his good looks to charm ladies to being generous. A bell? What's that? Oh, my God. (laughs) First of all, did you tell us how he is able to get around? His arms. Yeah, so it was just like a tripod type thing, and he'd swing his arms forward and then swing the bowl forward. Okay, that's ridiculous. That's the 1780s. A, oh, that is a cartoon. He's lucky they didn't leave him to die somewhere. Well, that's he why he just climbed out with his powerful arms. <laughs> okay, and the other thing I was going to say is that instead of begging, he could have, like, Quasimodo with his powerful arms. Quasimodo mm. had legs, though. Yeah, he was fully yeah. legged up. But you said that you said that what Billy didn't have in legs, he made up with in arms. Yeah. So why can't he pull a rope to make a bell ding ding? Cause he. Uh, I'm saying he was lazy. Okay. <laughs> so unfortunately, with the begging, um, Billy enjoyed gambling and drinking a little too much, and would run through his money faster than he was getting it. So logically, he started stealing. Um, was he? Quick with the getaway? I don't think he... Lazy. I don't think he was a burglar, because I don't think that he could sneak into anything. No, he was stealing from people um, on the street. Right. So what he would do was, his first victim um, was an unsuspecting woman walking down a lonely lane in... Uh, you really painted a really lovely picture there. Thank you. Basically lane. between the two suburbs, um, on a dark winter's evening. Oh my, Ooh. was it mystery? More imagery. Um, was yeah. it cold? It was winter in Dublin, yes. Oh mm. boy. Um, so what Billy would do was he unstrapped himself from his bowl. Oh my god. <laughs> hid in a brush. He is a cartoon character. <laughs> he hid in a brush. Um, and as she walked closer, <laughs> he would groan or complain, drawing her attention. And while she bent down to look and like through the bush, he his two giant hands burst through and grabbed her. She ended up fainting. Ridiculous. He she ended up fainting from fright, at which point he started like taking her jewelry and like made off with her purse. He had to know that he was gonna be identifiable, right? Like they were gonna be able to say it was the man with no legs. So he was in a bowl. <clears throat> so actually, it was the 1780s. They didn't really have like much of a police force back then, um, but they did make one when he started going a different way. He continued I... similar robberies using and 
I mean, using his disability as, like, a cover to get people, get victims. However, he took a turn when he attempted to rob a servant girl. She fought back, and in the struggle, Billy strangled her. Can I just say real quick? Yeah. This is giving off Ken Rex vibes, but I feel like he is easily, like, it's not going to be like, oh, what can we do about Billy? Just break his arms. He'll be immobile. <laughs> or just push him out of his bowl. Tip him out. <laughs> just push him over. Just throw him off a cliff. What if he's like a weeble wobble? He won't oh, be gone. <laughs> he shouldn't have been hard to get away from either. Uh, okay. I feel confident most people could outrun him. So he. This, the strangulation of the servant girl resulted in Dublin's first organized police force coming into action, at which point Billy abstained from murdering and robbing for a few months. That was really good of him. Uh, But eventually, he ran out of money again. And what is he going to do? Probably. So, he obviously went back to violent robberies. Attacking more women and robbing them. Police would step up night patrols to try to catch what was now being termed the Stony Batter Strangler. You are being a little insensitive when you said step up because Billy doesn't have legs. Billy wishes he could step up. Also, why did they have to give him a cool nickname? It was Billy. Billy they didn't the know it was him. They didn't know it was him. <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. How many men were running around on just their arms? That's insensitive. No, Lacey, had, maybe I was Lacey, that's the first... insensitive. He doesn't well. have legs. He can't run. <laughs> so, so in, so in seventeen eighty-six, he attempted to attack two women passing through Richardson's Lane. Like always, Billy laid in a bush trying to get their attention but he such a stupid boy. Billy in the bush <laughs> <laughs> Billy he, in the bush he tried to, <laughs> he grabbed one of them but she put up a fight while the other woman I read one story said that she like poked him in the eye another one said that um, this one's more violent and I liked this one better so I wrote this one out but mm-hmm. she um so the woman that was there witnessing the attack uh pulled a hairpin out of her hair and stabbed him in the eye well they only blinded poor billy in the bowl <laughs> this blind uh, billy in the bowl this let the other like him releasing the one woman so they ran around. to get the police while billy was like rolling around in agony on the ground so, the police were actually surprised who the strangler was. Um, I just want to say, I feel like if he just got poked in the eye, he probably would have recovered really quickly. So, I so agree that it was probably, probably the hairpin. I mean... The police were surprised. Yeah. I also think his confidence was a little too high. The fact that he took on two people at a time tells me he had been too successful. So I read somewhere that had it could have been an accident mm-hmm. that he didn't realize it was two women walking. That makes more sense. Because he was hiding. He's also bush. shorter and closer to the ground, so it's hard to see. 
So anyway, they went to him immediately, arrested him, and wheeled him to prison in a wheelbarrow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so... That's so rude. (laughs) Um, He was convicted uh, and sentenced to hard labor for the rest of his life in the Green Street Jail. He avoided the noose, but spent the rest of his days using his strength breaking stones. Do you think it would have been better or worse if they carried him in his bowl? Instead I think of it was just probably easier. Like somebody like holding each strap and just swinging him. I am like the child because I imagine that he was like trying to like slap them and be like, let me out, let me out. Shut up, Billy. Stop it. But was so he he, I don't, I don't know. There's a, there's, it's, the it's very the much like a uh, urban legend over there now, so it's kind of hard to find like actual like factual information. But he did die in prison, and his corpse oh. was buried in an unmarked grave in an unknown location. But according, but according, it's probably much shorter. But according to the locals, his bowl can still be heard clanging off the cobblestone around Stony Batter. That's excellent. I enjoyed that so much. Um, oh boy. I have a, there's actually, so, because this was a walking tour, too, there's a legit, That's insensitive. Like, <laughs> there's a legit, uh, like, mosaic of him. Memorial I of his him. bowl. <laughs> I mean, his bowl's not a part of it. I'm gonna show you guys. Give me one second. Billy and the bowl. I just love that the bowl he felt was the best option for him. Because you can't I tell mean, me he didn't have a form of a wheelchair in the 1780s. Well, they had a wheelbarrow. Right. And he was like, not for me. Here, that should become a dirty, guys. I don't know. I feel like when I was over there and I heard the story from the t- storyteller, they had an explanation. It's very hard to find stuff, like, online. Oh, that is not. Well, they conveniently left out the bottom half of his body. Okay. I imagine he doesn't have a bottom half. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I picture when I think of Billy. Yeah, I I forgot you said he was attractive. Yeah. I pictured his head to be as round and hairless as his bowl. I wanted. Also, one hundred percent looks like looks like an album cover to me. So it really fits in with his band name. Billy in the bowl. And the release date up there, 1786. So that was Billy in the bowl. Fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm going to save this photo and put it on the Instagram. Yeah. So that everybody can see this heartthrob. Yes, when, when they come to check out our Instagram. You can, you, you can find better photos of that online. That's just one I got when I was well, like, over there. Oh, there. you took that picture. Yes. Oh, nice. I forgot that you start off telling us that you were over there. That was very, very yeah. wordly. Did you hear the bowl? No. Uh, oh. Well, so we also did the walking tour. Insensitive. Probably around like 3 p.m. So like it oh, wasn't creepy or anything. Okay. But... We'll go back sometime at night and we'll all sit there and listen. I mean, the bowl. I, it's actually kind of like a busy street if I remember correctly. So it might be hard to... We'll do our best. Okay. Ready for me? Well, that was lighthearted. Yeah. You're I think that would have been a fun one to end with. 
Although mine isn't nearly as serious as Drew's was. Yeah. Um, so still. What was yours again? Mine is about the Lost Boys of Ontario. So oh. mine, was, but like mine was. Oh, yours is a disappearance. Oh, disappearance. That's right. Yep. Okay. Ontario, Canada. Yes. So we are all have, over the map today, yeah. guys. I have some pictures that I'll show you guys too as we get going. But let me pop on over. Made a nice little slideshow. Copier. Bailey's idea. Oh yeah. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. So this was St. Patty's Day, 1995. <laughs> are you showing us a picture? Well, not yet. I was thinking um, about making PowerPoints to show you guys pictures. Okay. Yeah, how do we feel about that? Can you not copy my idea for my next case? Like, what the hell? Don't have good ideas, and nobody will copy them. Imitation is the... Something about most, flattery. Yeah, the best form of flattery, or the most intense form of flattery. I think it's sincerest, but we yeah, can be intense. Okay. Well, sincerest form of flattery. Whatever. Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. <laughs> Many as a family suffer every year. Ready? Michael? Oh, that's yeah. funny. Michael? Yeah, we're ready. Should we just, like, okay. cancel the podcast and just recreate all the office videos? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm... People would listen. I have a question. How dare you? <laughs> that was Kelly. Anyway. I got it. Hey, you. Why is Daryl up here? I, oh, I invited him. It's not a party. party. Daryl, go back down to the... Ah, this is an information you need to know. Oh, there's information here? Sorry, that's my oh, I think he, I think he said, um, yeah, you're right. There's information. I don't need yeah. to Here, I'll do my Stanley impression. Good one. I, um, just watched the episode where the uh, branches merge. Mm-hmm. And Karen is trying to do her uh, voicemail, and she's Karen, like, Karen <laughs> Jim goes, you feel good? She's like, yeah. And then he walks away, and she's just like, it's Karen Filippelli. What's happening, Lucy? I'm just waiting for you guys to get it all out of your Oh, okay. <laughs> do you remember the episode where Michael has the intercom over all the phones? Yeah. Toby Flanderson to the principal's office. You've soiled your sheets. Have you seen the blooper where Toby walks into the office and Michael goes, Oh, hey, Toby, can you close that on your way out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway. What a good show. Yes. Lacey? Yep. Take it away. Um, 1995. St. Patty's Day. I was Me? Oh. I was. I was going to say me neither, but that's a lie. I was going to call bullshit immediately. <laughs> um, so, the Lost Boys of Ontario. There are six boys. Okay? So, we have Danny Higgins is 16. Um, I'm not going to need to refer to the names often during, so you don't really have to keep track too much of who's who. Are they Danny friends? Higgins, yes, it's a, French, a friend group. Oh, okay. Um, Danny Higgins is 16. Jay Boyle. Um, Jamie Lefevre. Michael Cummins are all 17. Robbie Rumbold and Chad Smith are 18. So six boys from 16 to 18. Hmm. Right? They are at a St. Patrick's Day party. It's a, just a neighborhood basement party. They were drinking. Party. Um, around Canada, 12... I feel like 18? Legal age? Maybe. I think, I think it's like that. Probably. Even if not, I mean, 
local high school party. People are drinking. Yeah, um, also, but there's a 17, there's a 16 year old and a 17 year old. Yeah. So, anyway. They left around 1250, um, and they told their friends they were going to go goof around on a boat. At this that. Drinking, there's a getting. lot of boats happening mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, yeah. A video, co- video footage caught three of them breaking into a marina at Frenchman's Bay. Shortly well, so after. Lots of mm-hmm. poor choices. Yeah. You were drunk. Yes. You're right. So, 12.50, they left the party. Um, shortly afterwards, video footage caught three three of them breaking into a marina at Frenchman's Bay. And somewhere between 2.30 and 3 a.m., two boats were stolen from the bay. Um, from the marina. One of them was a 14-meter, which is about 13 feet, imitation Boston whaler. I have a picture to show you guys just kind of what you picture when you picture like a little boat. And the other one was a three-wheeled paddle boat. They were stolen between 2.30 and 3 a.m. Neither of these boats had life jackets or any emergency equipment on board. Some um, note. Yes. I am not condoning it, but like stealing like two boats, like that's pretty impressive. I feel yeah. like they they got three of them on camera, but all of them were involved. And so they needed two boats. Um, also stolen, while I'm figuring this out, was a case of beer off of another boat. Who leaves so they beer like, on their boat? They were raiding. They had been on multiple boats, because like, they didn't just go to the first boat, find the beer, and be like, jackpot, let's go to this boat. That's not they the went to, here. They were looking for party stuff. Yeah. Okay, so that was the big one? That would have held six people. Yeah. So we can cut out the whole I, part of the I, kind of I think so. Where's, it, that's that's yeah. the bigger one. And this is just an example. Boat. This was not the boat. Right, but that's so, the bigger the, boat. And then there was Yeah, the other one boat. would have been a paddle boat. Not that big. I feel like... I don't know. I could see if we were in a group of six and they were like, let's take this one. I'd be like, we're not all going to fit, guys. Yeah. We're drunk. Okay, I'm, I'm taking the little one. I would one. say they were drunk. Yeah. yeah. So. Fly. A, uh, boys. Boston Whaler, which was that? An imitation Boston Whaler and a paddle boat were stolen. Um, along with a piece of beer out of another boat. And the boys were never seen or heard from again. The last time they were seen was on the f- video footage. The three of them were seen on video footage breaking into the marina. Um, 2.30 to 3 a.m. These two boats were stolen. And that was it. Bailey. First off, what, uh, the, oh, duh, this is St. Patty's Day, so March in Ontario, okay. March 17th. And we're, I'm just, I, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but were the boats ever found? No. Boats were never found and boys were never found. Were they in a lake or? Oh, Lake the... Ontario. I guess I didn't say that. Lake Ontario, which is gigantic. You know, the Great Still, Lakes are no, all. it's not the ocean. True, true. But I, I mean, like, like, what if the they took on water? <laughs> and sunk? Yeah. Still, I feel like... And it's March in Ontario. They could drown and freeze. I mean, we've no, all seen Titanic. Yeah, I, I'm more stuck on the fact that the boats have never been found. It was 1995. It's been, like... If they know, sunk... Almost 30 years. You don't think that they've been out scuba diving looking for the boats? I have information... <laughs> no, Lacey, we're gonna figure this out right now. Yeah, we have very limited information. We're gonna crack this case before talking um, to you. You're asking well, good questions. Alright, Lacey, take it away. 
Okay, so at around 3.30 that morning, so around when the boats were stolen, a little bit after, two of the boys' girlfriends who had been at the party with them called the police because they hadn't been able to get in contact with them since they left and were concerned already because the boys said, we're going to go goof around on a boat. There's um, no cell service in the middle of a lake, bruh. Not yeah. in 1995. But especially not in 1995. They might not have even had cell phones. Um, they didn't really say exactly why they called. I figured maybe they were supposed to meet up with the boys somewhere, um, and the boys didn't show up, but it did seem to me like they called the police very early on. Yeah. Um, it also felt that way to the police. So they spoke to, hold on, I've got all my things right now, Durham Regional Police Service. So Durham Police is who was kind of in charge of the whole thing. Um, they spoke to Officer James Gillum, and he told them to tell the boys' mothers to file a missing persons report if they were concerned that they were missing. Um, he didn't seem very concerned. He even said in his own report that he wrote that he told the girls he couldn't really do much because he wasn't given any specific locations. Um, and he said that one of the girls was not truthful with him, but he didn't, or I couldn't find what he meant by that. Um, he didn't write up the report until March 23rd, which is six days after St. Patty's Day, when his supervisor requested he write it up. At this time, they had actually started looking for the boys, and it seems like they were kind of trying to backtrack a little bit. Um, so they got an actual search underway about 36 hours after the boys went missing. So late Saturday afternoon, they started an actual search. It involved the Durham Regional Police Service, Toronto Police Marine Unit, the Coast Guard, um, a Hercules C-130 aircraft, and a helicopter from Canadian Forces Base. So they had a bunch of people involved in the search. None of the bodies ever found. The boats were never found. The police theory was the boys went for a drunken joyride, capsized and drowned. They f did not have enough gas in the boat for them to have lasted super long, so they think they could have either, you know, been messed up and overturned the boat because they were drunk, or run out of gas and been bobbing around out there for a while until, like, a rogue wave took them out. But they think they went for a joyride, capsized and drowned. Are there waves in the yeah, yeah, in the Great Lakes, yeah. They're uh, big old boys. You have, okay, you so. have currents in the wind, too, can create. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They could have even, well, never mind. I was going to say, they could have been like, oh, let's get out and swim a little bit, and then I remember it was March in Canada, so I, I mean, doubt they willingly they were You're drunk? They were drunk. But... Have you never, like, been drunk in February and been like, oh, I'm going to go outside in shorts and no yeah. shoes? Or socks. They could have for sure made a dumb decision while they were out there. Okay, so a lot of the rest of the information I'm going to give you guys, I found out when I learned about this private investigator who's been investigating the case. So his name is Bruce Ricketts. He's based in Ottawa. He runs a website called Mysteries of Canada, where he looks up mysterious stuff, researches it, and posts about it. And has written two books based on research he's done for his website. So in 2010, he learned about this case and started researching it. And then got, like, really invested in it and decided he was going to, he kind of wanted to figure it out, what had happened. So he's been involved in it since 2010. Um, when he started doing his research, he felt that there was more to the story than what had been let out. And there wasn't a lot that the police had told people. So he said the police had not given it their best effort. So he was going to give it his best effort to figure out what had happened. He felt that the police were slow to start investigating and reached their conclusion about what had happened very quickly because they didn't really want to put in any more effort than the boys 
capsized and drowned. Um, and here is a quote from him. I've got a couple quotes in this after he started requesting information. Um, he said, at this time, based on, this is 2022, at this time, based on limited and heavily redacted materials provided by Durham police, we cannot conclude that the boys stole a boat or drowned in a lake. There's no concrete evidence to support that theory. The truth is that we do not know what happened or where, nor do we know the fate of the boys. So he is not even sold on the theory that the boys took off on a joyride. Redacted stuff? Yes. A, a lot of the um, stuff that was released to him was redacted. Like interviews and camera footage and stuff. What the hell is the purpose of doing that? So Great question. I have a question. Yes. So they got three of the boys breaking into the marina. Mm-hmm. And then beer was missing and two boats were missing. They don't mm -hmm. have any proof that the boys took that stuff, right? Correct. Okay. And um, they don't have so, any proof that, like, all six boys went into the marina. It was just the three? No. Yeah. Yep. So here's just kind of a list of different pieces Is, of, like, evidence I'm using kind of loosely and Rickett's thoughts on them. The yeah. proof that they have that the boys entered the marina was security footage? Mm-hmm. In 1995? Yes. Of three boys. Do they know which boys? Uh, yeah, I think I wrote it down. Okay, so it was, the quality yes, was I good enough it. for them to tell which boy was which. Which boys it was, yeah. They knew for okay. sure that it was these three boys. Okay, I didn't know okay. if they were just like, six boys went missing, there are three boys right here. That's, yeah. Um, so anyway. one thing that Rick has pointed out is that this area was a hot spot for drug smuggling at one point. Um, that substances would be smuggled between Ontario and New York. I'm going to show you guys a picture of the map, like, zoomed out, and it's kind of directly across the lake from Niagara Falls. So there was drug smuggling going on, and he kind of wondered loosely if the boys could have been involved in that. And that's kind of all we got for that theory. It's just throwing theories out there. Or maybe Second, they, like, stumbled upon something they shouldn't have. Yeah, I was going to say maybe yes, that too. Time. Somebody thought that they were somebody they weren't, something like that. Um, then there is the gas can. So they believe that the boys had grabbed a gas can and brought it with them on the boat when they took off. Uh, two weeks after the disappearance, a gas can was found washed up in Wilson, New York. I'm going to show you a map picture that they believe this was a gas can that had gone missing from that area that they think they would have taken with them. Um, it was found without a cap on it. Ricketts feels that because it didn't have a cap after being in the water for two weeks, it would have taken on water and sank. I don't know. I think that it could have bobbed around out there for two weeks. But we have that. Let me show you this uh, map quick. So, can you guys see? It's loading. Yes. yes. Okay, so right here, this is where they were. This is the bay. And I can actually show you a picture of... So here's the bay. Oh, it looks cold. Um, here's the boys. <laughs> I didn't show you the boys. There they are. Oh, Danny Higgins has the cutest smile. He looks so Look little. So here's, so here's where everything happened, up where I have the little Google Maps marker. That's mm -hmm. the bay. Um, right here, this little red circle is Wilson, New York. So this is where the gas can was found. There's Niagara Falls, right? So just also like who's to say that's from them? Right. Like Lake Ontario's huge. Yeah, that's kind of was Ricketts' point where he was like, 
we don't have any evidence because the police found out about that and they're like oh that's their gas can that shows that they were out on the lake with their gas and he was yeah. like well it doesn't really and like fingerprints would be like wiped off of that so, like mm-hmm. with the water like yeah yeah so something else that's interesting is that drps which is durham police um service had the opportunity to use what's called side scan sonar technology to scan the bottom of the lake which is some kind of it's exactly what it sounds like, sonar technology that you can use to scan the bottom of the lake. They had the opportunity to use this. They contacted a man named Ed Burt, who was the founder of Ocean Scan Systems, and he does this kind of thing for missing people and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they canceled the contract before he ever started the search, and they never followed up. So they never checked the bottom of the lake. So you guys were saying before, like Drew, I think, said they should have found the boats by now. They never checked. They checked the stores and stuff to see if they showed up anywhere else. They never checked the bottom of the lake. But, like, that also is just, like, why wouldn't you go down there, like, not even for the boat, but, like, for bodies? Yeah. That feels so, like, like they have closure. What'd you say, Drew? It feels like it's incompetence. Yeah, and the more we get into it, the more it felt to me as I was researching that they didn't really care. What um, do, like, parents think? Well, the parents... We only really, he- I only really heard from, like, one mom and, like, some siblings, and it was for Jay Boyle, um, and we're gonna see why later, but these boys, and this was something else that Ricketts pointed out that I have somewhere later, Durham Police had had several encounters with these boys before, um, Jay Boyle in particular, yeah, Jay Boyle in particular had already done some time for assault and was currently facing time for assault and weapons charges, so Ricketts floated the idea that the police were, like, oh, well, these are troublemakers who finally got into too much trouble. We're not going to put the effort in. And then later kind of started to backtrack when Ricketts started looking into it and act like they had done more than they did. That's how it felt to me, a casual observer in 2023. I think it's really weird that they didn't just use the sonar technology and scan the lake. I don't know why they wouldn't just do that. very expensive, and they would have been like, we're not going to waste all this money on those kids. Yeah. Yeah, that feels right. Um, so, something else that's interesting. Danny Higgins, the youngest, was... All six of the boys were at this neighborhood party. He had a fight with Jay Boyle at the party and left before the rest of them. And There's no evidence he ever met back up with the rest of the group. And he wasn't actually part of this friend group. When you guys asked before if they were friends, and I said, yeah, the five of them were. Danny Higgins was not part of their friend group. But he's been lumped in with this group of missing boys from that night. Just because what kind of he went missing? Uh, verbal altercation. Interesting. And I don't know what time he left. I just know he left before the other five left. I have a wild theory that oh, yeah. is very little that popped. I'm putting random shit in its pot. I want, I want to know if your theory is, like, the one that just popped in my head. Ooh. So, Danny was the one who was not part of the group? Correct. Okay, so Danny got into a verbal altercation with Jay and took off. Jay, talking to his friends, who, known troublemakers, were like, let's go get this boy. They go, take care, kill Danny. And then three of them break into the marina, and then they sneak Danny's body on, and then they go out to dump his body in the lake, and then, I don't know, they were drunk and dumb and ended up all dying. 
That's a theory. Thank you. It yeah. is a theory. Um, so something else from Ricketts. Durham police never requested help from other police forces, even though the case would have um, been outside, gone outside of their jurisdiction. So it was estimated that with the gas in the whaler's tank and even with the gas can that they think the boys took, the whaler would have made it about 25 miles before running out of gas if they did that. This would have taken it outside of Durham um, jurisdiction and also would have crossed the international border. Um, but they did not request help from um, like Niagara police or any surrounding police forces whose jurisdiction the case would have crossed into in that 25 mile range. We saw that they had help from the Toronto Marine unit when they first were searching for the boys. Um, but there was no like, we think the boys might have made it to the next town over. You know, we need your help searching for them along your shores or anything like that. Here. I, it really just sounds like they just didn't care. But I had more that I wanted to throw into my theory. Okay. They took two boats. One was a small little paddle boat. That was, they were going to put Danny's body on that boat and set it adrift in the lake so that Ooh. someone would find him maybe and be like, ah. Oh, I don't know, he died that way, or something like that. Ooh, maybe. I mean, we, you know, we can't ask them. We can speculate the all we want. Yeah. Okay, so, now the camera footage, which we kind of already gone to a little bit. So, at the time of the disappearance, news reports referenced a video that some of the boys were found in the video. So, when Ricketts first filed and he filed this request for information... It's called Access to Information and Policy Request. When he filed his first request, he was told the video doesn't exist. And here's the quote that he was in the paperwork that he got back. With respect to the video portion of your request, be advised a thorough search of Durham Regional Police records produced negative results. Therefore, we are advising you that with respect to this portion of your request, no records exist. He had to file the um, access to information report two more times before he was finally allowed to see the video. And it was a redacted version of the video. So he has not been allowed to see the full video. So what he has been allowed to see shows three of the boys, Jamie Lefebvre, Michael Cummins, and Robbie, Robbie Rumbolt breaking into the marina. It never shows the other three boys. It also shows other people at the marina before and after those three boys, but none of those people show up in any police reports and none of those people were ever investigated. Bailey. I'm just going to first, um, this is just a thought that popped in my head. It's not a theory or anything, and I'm not coming after the police force. But so, you said there's a drug smuggling operation up there? Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. I okay. see where this is going. So, the police were in on it, stumble mm -hmm. across these boys. The boys get, like, taken out because they're witnesses now. Um, and then they have to cover it up and, like, hide their bodies and everything, and they just, like, take the boats and hide them. Or they burn the boats and just let them sink to the bottom, and that's why they don't want to search the bottom of the lake. The lake. That's why they were delayed in, like, starting the investigation and yeah. don't really seem to care about the boys and are also kind of stonewalling, like, all of the, like, information and the video and redacting a bunch of stuff. It's a cover-up. Yeah. I also, I kind of thought something not quite along along those lines, but not like that the police were involved. That maybe they had a bigger operation going, 
and, and that they were keeping an eye on things at night or that the video footage shows stuff and the boys happen to be a, a separate issue at the same time and they're like we don't have time to deal with these stupid missing troublemakers while we're dealing with like a drug smuggling ring like they had a big operation going yeah <clears throat> and the boys are kind of interrupting or taking focus from it and the I don't know. it wasn't a fully footage, developed story hmm? the redacted footage has something that they don't want getting public yeah because because they need it for their investigation that they're working on yeah it's classified um, yeah so I was that's thinking the camera that footage on the redacted footage was probably the two other boys carrying danny yeah all right I'm, so I'm really on my theory why wouldn't they walk <laughs> if if the two other boys were carrying danny why wouldn't they just release that and be like this is what probably I, happened and I, I don't know I feel good like riddance to those boys that theory, murdered another boy I feel like my theory <clears throat> and your theory are should merge because like that would I feel like they were like we need to just ignore that because we need to focus on this and if we focus on that it's gonna ruin this you know sure. My th my theory was that the police were in on the drug smuggling. Then I met Lucy. Oh, okay. I was <laughs> you didn't use a yeah. name. I know. I'm sorry. There's three of us. You have to tell me who you're addressing. All right. So, the final big piece of like evidence or interesting thing is these remains that were found. Okay. Ooh. I'm gonna show you guys a picture in a second. So in 2013, so you know this was 95. So 2013. Amanda Boyle, who's Jay Boyle's sister, was looking at um, Ontario. Hold on. I, I use all these acronym, acronyms and I can't remember what they are. Ontario Provincial Police, which would be like the state police, sure. kind of, was looking at their missing persons page, which I just think was kind of sad also. That it was almost 20 years later and she was still checking out the missing persons page for stuff. But she saw a picture that she recognized. It was a pair of red Levi's. Which matched what Jay Boyle was wearing that night. So I'm gonna show you. You said rugged Levi's? Red. Oh. These. Okay, yeah. so here's Jay Boyle, the night of the party, wearing his red Levi's. These were found. She learned that these pants, and they were found with remains in them, which later is referenced bone. So these pants and some remains were found in 1998 in the Niagara River. Um, and nobody related to the Lost Boys of Ontario was ever told about this. So when she saw this on the missing persons page, she contacted the police and asked them to do DNA testing on the remains and compare the results to her mother to see if it could be Jay Boyle. And the police refused. First, they said that the bones had been estimated to belong to somebody between the ages of 25 and 60, which is older than any of the boys were. They also said that Boyle could not have ended up where the bones were found if he went missing where they thought he went missing in the lake. And they mentioned the cost of it, although the family offered to cover the cost. Um, Amanda they started... Know, hmm? They don't know where they went missing in the lake. That's something that Ricketts points out. He says, we don't have any evidence that they went missing any particular where. We don't even know for sure that they took the boats and went missing in the lake. Yeah, um, Jay Boyle wasn't even on the video camera. He wasn't. That's true. Yeah, so Amanda... Did he have any proof that he was there? Right. Amanda started a petition on change.org which received 49,975 signatures. You can still find 
the petition. I found it when I was looking this up. That's how I know about it. It's closed now, obviously, but they found it. I think this is when Ricketts got involved with their actual families. Up until this point, he had just been doing research on his own, but at this point, he somehow got involved with them, and he started reaching out to the police about the DNA. So, he sent one of these access to information requests to the Niagara police, because that they found the remains, and he was told this is actually an Ontario case, Ontario Provincial Police case. So he sent the same request to the Ontario Provincial Police, and was told, this isn't our case, this is a Niagara police case. So both of the police forces were like, this isn't us, this is the other guy. He sent a second request, and I'm trying to remember who, Niagara Police, and it was denied because it didn't have a notarized ID on it. Um, according to Bruce Ricketts, there is no requirement in the Municipal Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act of the province of Ontario to provide notarized ID when requesting these files. So that's not even a requirement anyway. He sent a third request, and he finally got the report on the remains. Heavily redacted report. He kept pushing for them to do DNA testing, and there was another delay when he was told that the box containing the bone was misplaced during renovations. Yes. Finally, Oops. it's found. Oh. Yep, it's found. Niagara agreed to send the box to the Ontario coroner's office. They DNA tested, and the DNA results were negative. Ricketts is suspicious of these results. First of all, he had been told by Niagara Police that the bone was in the care of Hamilton Hospital's pathology department since they were found in 1998. But when he talked to the chief pathologist at the hospital, the chief pathologist said no items like this would have been kept for 15 years, and they don't even have a secured lock space at the hospital to secure evidence. So he feels that the chain of evidence was broken. And then he didn't really say what his theories were about that, but it sounds to me like nobody ever kept good track of the bones. Maybe they actually did lose it, and whatever was tested wasn't even that original bone. Um, It sounds like they were not at all concerned with doing their due diligence here. But he is not convinced that those remains aren't Jay Boyle's remains, because he feels like the chain of evidence was broken. In September of 2022, Bruce Ricketts announced that he was releasing a book about this called The Lost Boys of Pickering, What We Know and What We Believe, which is available for purchase. At this time, he was still waiting on more information that he had requested from the police departments and had not been given yet. He also happens to be a certified cold water diver, and he was talking about, on his own, getting hold of the sonar scanning technology to do some sonar scanning of areas of interest, although he feels that at this time, He wouldn't really find much, but he felt like it should be done to be thorough. Mm -hmm. And he had no plans to close the file. I should also say that he wasn't doing, he wasn't being paid to do any of this. Um, Because when I first saw that he was a private investigator and he was like, I have no plans to close the file. I thought, well, sure, because the family's been paying you for almost 30 years. But he got involved in this on his own time and he's spending all of his own money and has not taken any money from the families to investigate any of this. Yeah. So, and that's... That's it. That's kind of where everything is. No no boys like, have ever been found. No boats. I feel like I've seen that before where, like, someone will get, like... Emotionally, like, a involved. Certain, yeah, like, a certain case will touch them, and mm-hmm. if they have the resources, they'll just fund it because they, they want to yeah. have closure. And especially when it seems that the police are... Um, kind of being incompetent and then also just like dicking him around yeah by sending him 
Oh, we don't have video footage. Oh, we do. Here's a re heavily redacted kind of yeah. shit. It was also only, like, one boy that had, like, an arrest record, right? It said that there was only one boy that I could find actual information about, and that was Jay Boyle, and that he had been arrested for assault, and he had pending charges. He also had a one-year-old daughter who his mom was watching tonight, so um, she's, like, 28 or 29 now. But um, like, still, it said he, Rickett said that the police had had encounters with these boys before. So, I mean, well, if they were a friend group, chances are they were together. Yeah, some shenanigans. But still, they're like sixteen to eighteen, like years old. They still are young, and like yeah, yeah. It just doesn't like, seem to me like they were too interested in finding out what happened. Yeah, I yeah, like my theory because there's a lot of drama, but. Yeah, your theory would be a good movie. <laughs> it's been. I'm pretty sure it's been a movie. <laughs> Either that or like a TV show series episode. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I'm currently rewatching Bones, and when you said that there was like skeletal remains, I was like, we need Doctor Temperance Brennan to get on it. Yeah, she would fly her up to Canada. I bet she'd maintain the chain of evidence as well. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, Lacey, back to your 20 questions question. Yes. Um, I don't know what number you're on because I forgot to count. But... It's fine. Can you, okay. um, hurt someone with it? I'm going to say yes in the way that you could probably hurt somebody with almost anything. But it's, it's main usage is not intended. No. For... If an intruder was in your house, you would not think to use this thing. Is it, um... Is it a piece of furniture? Yes. Do you derive comfort from it? No. Is it a table? No. Is it a kind of table? Kind of. You put Side stuff on it? Table. Yeah. Dining table. No. No, she said kind of for table, so it's, it probably isn't a table, but it's like a nightstand or something like that. Nightstand? No. Is it like an ottoman? No. Desk? Yes. Follow us on Instagram at sinister underscore and underscore sarcastic um, for more updates. And we also post pictures uh, from each case. So, like, you'll see the Billy and the Bull stuff today. You'll see probably some of the boats. And we'll include all the victims' pictures from Lacey's case. And Rachel Hurley. And Rachel, because Rachel is pretty. I did search her because I wanted to figure out what uh, you wanted to Fagan name, looked like. Name. Well, that, yeah. and I also wanted to see how creepy Fagan looked like, because just based on what you were saying, I was like, this guy looks sounds like a skeeve. Um, you can also DM us on that and let us know if you have any case suggestions. We'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think that's all we have for like announcements and information. I agree. So, that was sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening. <coughs> Thanks, Pat. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs>